what does youth mean to me? I think youth group is a place where students can connect with each other and connect with their leaders to further their relationship with God. Uh, well, youth has definitely been an outlet of an area to where I can kind of like not have to worry about any negative influences kind of messing up or ruining the direction of the person that I wanted to become, which I'm on the road to being able to do that in comparison to what I used to be. And just like all the other leaders that I've had throughout helping teach me how to be a good leader and like somebody who can be the people that kids turn to or youth turn to or people turn to when they need positive feedback or positive reinforcement on something that they have going on in their life. What I love about youth group is that I've been coming here so long that there's so many friends and so many opportunities to new, new, meet new people from all over. There is always growth in your relationship with Jesus and that helps build whatever stage you're in here, whether you're just starting out or you maybe have got back up and fallen back down no matter what you're at. You could still find a home here and you could still find leaders who will guide you in the right path. Well, so pretty much before I started coming to real life, I didn't really like have a connection with God and then my friend Ellie Meacham decided to invite me to youth group. And this youth group changed my whole life because I got baptized, I started on the worship team. It just really changed me as a person. It's just like God-based fun with my friends and it's like, it's really the highlight of my week and that's, that's really what I enjoy most about here. I think it's important to invest in the next generation of students because when I was a student here, the leaders that poured into me helped me to get where I am and they really invested in my relationship with God and my growth and so I want to do that for the kids here too. We could put our hands together a little more heartily today. It's Youth Sunday, huh? Let's Amen. celebrate. God Amen. is good. There you go. I knew you had it in you. I love it. I, I love, love it. it. Oh, man, I am excited that you're here today. My name is Richie, our lead pastor, and uh, I believe that God got each of us here on this Memorial Weekend uh, for a reason. He wants to speak to you. He wants to meet you right where you are today. He wants to move in your life in a way that leads you towards more and more transformation, more and more of the man or the woman that he's called you, designed you, made you to be. It's a journey of transformation that all of us are on, and I'm glad that you're here today to learn what it looks like to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Uh, Tyler introduced himself a few minutes ago. He's our youth director, and yeah. he's going to preach with me today, huh? Let's go. And, uh, I, I am excited about this. We've been in a conversation over the last several weeks trying to understand what maturity looks like in each of our lives and kind of all these different circles and these places that we travel. We, we are uh, in relationship with Jesus. Many of us that are new here are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, being baptized, understanding what that looks like. We're in relationship here in the church. That's what we're talking about these last few weeks. In, in, in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids, uh, in our relationships at work and at school and all these other circles that we travel into, what does it look like to be mature in each of those circles? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in each of those places? And so today we want to continue the conversation about the church uh, because uh, on Youth Sunday, we have an opportunity to really celebrate and look at what God has done and is doing um, in the next generation and how he is raising people up. I mean, Tyler being up here today is an amazing, amazing uh, picture of that. Uh, this guy got thrown in to his current role. I, I say that um, 
with very much intentionality. <laughs> you didn't get, you didn't get kind of nicely brought in. He got thrown into this role in the midst of all kinds of crazy uh, staff transitions through the midst of craziness and COVID. And uh, God has done such an amazing work in this man's life. He has, he has been so humble. You've been so faithful and you just continue. He continues to be so teachable and like, how do I become a youth director here at Real Life? How do I help the next generation uh, grow to become who God made them to be? And, and um, Tyler, you're 20 years younger than me. I know you wouldn't yeah. think that. I mean, looking over here at <laughs> this side of the stage, but uh, yeah. 20 years separates uh, this guy and I. But what I love is that there is another man that really is, it, it kind of stands between us. His name is Brennan. That was our original youth pastor here. When, when Tyler first started coming to Real Life seven years ago, you were in our youth ministry. Isn't that crazy? And um, Tyler was not short of shenanigans at all. He um, maybe was a little annoying towards some of the annoying <laughs> shenanigans. Those are all, I feel like, small words compared to like what it was. Um, but in all reality, yeah, shenanigans is a good way to sum it all up. Um, Brennan Honestly, without him, I have no idea where I would be. He's probably one of my best friends, but I would show up to the office like unannounced all the time. And our Michelle, our office admin was always be like, do you have an appointment? Do you have an appointment? And I'm like, no, no, no. And she's like, it got to the point where she's like, you need to make an appointment, bro. Like this keeps happening every week. You need to make an appointment. And that was just the start of it. I would just show up all the time. And then me and my buddy Jed, we were together all the time and uh, we caused chaos at youth. Like, I am surprised this building is still standing because of all of the chaos that we created around here. But I mean, if it weren't for Brennan though, like investing in me and uh, investing in a lot of the other people that are still here today, um, man, this, this next generation is standing right here. We wouldn't be able to do this. And so I'm just so thankful and humbled that Brennan did that. Yeah, and I think each of us come into Jesus Church, all kinds of mess and all kinds of craziness uh, attached to each of our lives. And I think Tyler is that picture of, of coming in just as you were. And then um, by the grace of God, growing, he became a student leader as a part of our, our youth team. Eventually, after you graduated high school, a young adult leader, a part of the team, uh, into our apprenticeship, into our residency to train up um, ministry leaders and pastors. And now is finishing that residency here in the final stages and working towards ordination as a pastor at Real Life. Isn't that pretty amazing? Like right here is... is that picture of us investing in the next generation. And, and to me, uh, that's an absolute miracle. And that's the dream of Jesus Church right there. Yeah, absolutely. It's honestly for me, I believe wholeheartedly that it's just a gift to be able to be here. Um, God has really worked through a lot of the, the situations and things within my own life, but using the people like Richie and Brendan around here to really uh, invest in me, uh, to help lead me to become the man who God wanted me to be uh, has been the best blessing and gift that I could ever have dreamed of. You know, as Jesus Church, um, we collectively are always coming together on, on moments like this to learn what does it look like to be Jesus Church and what does it look like for each of us individually and, and for us collectively. And this is one of our passion points is to invest in the next generation, to raise them up, to become who God made them to be. He said it a few minutes ago, there's future pastors, leaders in our city um, that are in our youth ministry right now that we believe God is anointing and ordaining for his purpose in their life and what God is going to do through them gets us so fired up as a church. And, and the heart of that has always been um, this heart for unity. Generations tend to separate people, divide people. You know what I'm saying? 20 years is a lot of time and a lot of difference and 
preference and ideas and, and the way church should be and the way things ought to go in our world or in our country. And some of those differences are really strong and really good. But at the core of it, there's this unifying heart that says, you know, Jesus' church and his, his passion is what we want our heart and our passion to be. And so today I want to really help us kind of look at that unifying place, that, that what supersedes our preferences, our previous experiences, and would allow us to be a unified church on a mission together, no matter the age differences or the generational preferences or, or desires, that, that we would actually see the world reach, that we would see Spokane change, we would see lives change. Like, what is it that, that would allow us to move beyond that and have that kind of heart? Most churches, as the leaders kind of get older, uh, the leaders tend to get a little crustier. Then the church kind of does the same thing, right? We get older, we, we, we align mostly with our preferences and just kind of do what we want to do and many times leave the next generation behind. Yeah, the next generation, there's a statistic, 66% of high school students that graduate high school actually end up dropping their faith. And with us being a, a unified church, us united together, um, we can actually change that statistic, we can actually spearhead a change within the next generation to have a fire for Jesus that won't dwindle out, that won't go away. And so I believe wholeheartedly that the reason that this conversation is so important is because when we can become a unified church, this next generation has got some, some handholds to hold on to. Yeah, there's so many people here that just inspire me this way. I was thinking of uh, Peter and Jan. They came here about five, six years ago uh, to be a part of Real Life specifically because they saw the, the young people that were being invested in, in, in like worship pastors that we've, you know, been raised up and sent to other churches around the city over in Seattle, um, churches that have been planted because of people here in our youth ministry being raised up. And I love, what I love about Peter and Jan, I think they're in their 70s now. And, and they're going, we want to be a part of a church that is passionate about raising up the next generation. And, and I just get so fired up seeing that, knowing that God wants to do something special here. And he wants to do it in each of us and through us collectively. And so that's the question that we want to answer today is how do we be a church that's passionate about unity? How do we have Jesus' heart and his passion for his people in the way that he wants us to be together? So let's pray this morning, if you would, with me. We're going to walk you through all kinds of scriptures. Um, we got your note page on the way in, so you're going to have to jot down a bunch of scriptures to try to keep up with us today. But I, I really believe God's going to speak to you. Let's pray and ask him to do that. Lord, we just come humbly to you today, uh, needing you to speak, to lead, to move in this time, to unify our hearts, God, to give us a vision and a picture of the kind of church you want us to be in, what real maturity looks like for each of us in this conversation, God. And, and I pray that you would speak to every person here. You know every heart that you've got here, everything that they got going on in each of our lives, God. You know exactly who we are and what is happening, Lord. And I just pray that your word would come alive to each of us, speak to us, move in us, and change us, God, for your purpose, your glory, your kingdom, God. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen. Yeah, I think for us, in order to actually have unity be something that is a passion within our own lives, we have to recognize first that unity is Jesus's passion. We see in scripture in John 17, Jesus is actually praying in this moment, praying over all believers. And he says this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
What I love about this first half of this, this passage is Jesus is praying that as believers, we are unified, that we are together. He even goes on later and says, the word completes unity. He says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is what I believe this original picture of unity looks like was Jesus's prayer over all of us for unity. Just as him and God are together as one, him and the Father are together as one, that we would be one as well as the church. I mean, that's a powerful picture when you see Jesus, um, the author of this faith, praying that we would be one. Uh, he's here towards the end of his ministry, at the end, towards the end of his life here on earth, and this is what he chose to pray for. He could have prayed for anything, and he prayed that looking into the future, looking into each of our lives and looking into the, the craziness of our culture and everything that's going on in our world right now. And he could see all that in his mind's eye and he's praying that we as his church would be one, the way that he and the Father are one. The passion that Jesus has for unity is a passion that I think needs to infect us. Paul, the early church leader, he planted a whole bunch of churches. He planted one in Corinth, and he wrote to the church in Corinth saying, hey, I want your passion to be unity as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you. I love this. It's like, hey, not just like conceptually, but you personally, I want you to really consider this. I appeal to you personally, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this because the authority of what Jesus just prayed in John chapter 17, what Tyler read, is now being brought into the early church here going, hey, not my authority, but the authority of the one that prayed that we would be one. It's his authority that I, that I appeal to you with, that all of you would agree with one another in what you say and that there would be no divisions among you. None. That there'd be no divisions among you, that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. Perfectly united. And Jesus' passion for us to be one, Paul's passion for us to be one is just so intense. I don't know how you think about unity in the church, but oftentimes I think my fear is that we allow it to be kind of a concept that we agree with. It's just a nice idea. And it's maybe like a big picture thing, but it's not something very personal for us. And, and, and in 1 Peter, I love how personal Peter makes it. He says, no, chapter, chapter one of 1 Peter, he says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. I don't know how, how you think about Jesus' church, but there's this picture here that's emerging of like, not just kind of passive attending a service and going on with our lives, but this deep, intimate connectedness that says, hey, you gotta know each other and, and understand what's going on in each other's lives and, and, and love each other with this deep and sincere love if you're gonna be united the way God has called us to be united. Yeah, and I think too, man, unity comes as we see and value all parts of the church. In Romans chapter 12, Paul's saying, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have all the same function, so in Christ we, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So what I love about this passage is what he's saying is Paul's really getting at, like, we all have a part to play here. We all have a passion that needs to be instilled in our hearts for unity within this conversation. 
not trying to beat each other out for who's the best at serving coffee or whatever. I mean, you wanna, you wanna try to be the best, I'll tell you that, but that's not the goal. We're not trying to, to beat each other out here. We're trying to be unified as one body working together for the mission of Jesus. And then further down, um, we look in Philippians 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, the interests of others. We're putting ourselves aside here in this moment and getting our eyes off of ourselves and focusing it on other people. We're actually beginning to serve others and serve Jesus rather than trying to, like we've talked about the past couple of weeks, we're not just church shopping. We're not just trying to find a place that checks all our boxes. We're trying to serve God and serve people. This guy's preaching up here, isn't he? I love this. I love this. You know, when I, when I hear this, all these passages put together, you see the passion that Jesus has, the early church has a passion, and, and really an invitation for us to see and value each other and, and all the gifts and abilities that each of us bring to the table to make this the church that God has intended us to be. There is a very kind of big picture um, conversation here, but there's also a very personal conversation. For each of us to understand like what maturity looks like within Jesus' church. A mature church is passionate about unity. Can you get on board with that today? Amen. You see that in Jesus' heart, don't you? You see it yeah. in the early church. A mature church, you and I are passionate about unity. And it's not just like, oh, real life is passionate about unity. But, but the question is, are you passionate about unity, right? Like, am I? Is each of us willing to engage in, in, in a relationship around here that says, you know what? Unity matters in this place. And unity matters if we're gonna actually accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. Jesus said, that's when the world will know, Father, that you sent me is when they are one. Like, think of it. Jesus hung the, the eminence of this mission actually happening on our ability to be passionate about this. And so that's, a, that's the question today is, are you passionate about unity? That is what's gonna propel the next generation becoming who, they made, who God made them to be. That's what's gonna propel each of us to become who God made us to be is us learning to be passionate about unity in Jesus' church. And so let's get practical with this today because I, I'm sensing a, a large amount of agreement in the room. Like, yeah, we are on board with this, Richie. Amen. On board, yes. Uh, okay. 12% agreement in the room is what I'm sensing, actually. I said large. I was speaking in faith, but uh, we'll go. Um, <clears throat> we'll go anyway. Uh, when I think about unity, this is the word that comes to my mind, fight. Because unity is not a passive thing at all. It's not something that just happens to you. You don't find yourself in a relationship and you are perfectly compatible in every bit of life. Any married people in the room say amen on that one, right? Like it's just not reality. Every human being has desires inside them and those desires have a tendency to rule our hearts and our minds and our decision-making. And because of that, every one of those desires ends up being in competition with somebody else's desires at some point. Unity is a fight. And when I mean fight, it's, it's us actively 
engaged in a process of becoming one. It's not passively sitting by hoping that oneness happens in our marriage, in our church, in our lives. Oneness and unity is an active participating fight for you and I in each of our lives. And so for unity to happen, it starts in your own heart. I'll just start with that. Unity is a fight within your own heart. I said it a minute ago, you got selfish desires that are waging war inside of you trying to demand your way, your rights, your expectations, meet your needs the way you think things need to go. And in order for unity to happen, you have to learn to subdue these desires inside you so that you can be in relationship with other people that actually moves the mission forward. If each of us, come into this relationship called church, fighting for our own personal desires and expectations all the time, we will be just like the rest of the world. All the brokenness that we see in our culture and in the world around us today is a result of these desires winning in people's lives. Somebody filled with the spirit of God has to make a decision. You know what? I'm gonna fight this battle inside of my own heart first and foremost for unity to be a reality in this church. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 4. It's real practical. He's writing to the church in Ephesus about being unified as a church. So he's talking to them about how to be mature as a church, as Jesus followers together. In verse two of chapter four, he says, here's what it looks like. Be completely humble and gentle. We could spend the rest of our lives right there, couldn't we? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Think of bearing with. That means that at times, Tyler is going to have to bear with all of my annoying things that I've got going on in my life. And you're going to have to deal with me. And I will deal with, bear with, right? We, you know, it's kind of the same thing, right? Bear with. Bear with one another in love. Make every effort. Listen to this. Make every effort, real life, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Just, I want to zoom in there for just a second because the peace that Paul is referencing here is the peace that Jesus made possible when he went to the cross on our behalf. See, God sent his son, Jesus, here to earth to pay the penalty for all of our sins and to make peace with God. Without Jesus, we could not be at peace with our creator in heaven. But because Jesus is willing to die on our behalf, he was willing to take our sin and shame on himself, he, he reconciled us to God and made peace with God. And Paul is saying, that peace, I want that to be the bond that holds you guys together. This is why uh, in the church world, people call each other brothers and sisters. You've heard this language before? It's like we're a family. We've all been brought into this family. We've all been adopted into this family that our Savior, Jesus, has actually paid the penalty of our sin and made it possible for us to be at peace with our Father in heaven. What's up, brother, right? Like we all get to come into this together, understanding that there is a bond of peace, peace with God that makes peace with each other possible. When I hear this, I just go, God, would you make us that kind of a church? It starts in each of us personally to go, all right, I gotta want this. You gotta want this. There, there's gotta be a desire inside you that competes with these selfish desires that are always trying to win in your heart. What do I mean? Desire to be unified and to have a unified church. 
that you would desire to do your part. Think about how easy it is to just come into a, a thing like this that we call church and just demand our rights, our desires, our expectations. But anybody that's a part of anything significant has made sacrifices to be a part of it. And if you're gonna be a part of something world-changing, it's gonna require sacrifice. If you're gonna be a part of something larger than yourself, it's gonna require sacrifice. And so the desire that, that has to compete with the selfish desires is a, a godly desire to sacrifice rights and privileges and expectations. Man, every time you're in relationship with another human being, you bring an expectation into that relationship. You bring an expectation into real life, into this church today. Many of you are new here today. I talked to several of you in the lobby and I love that, but you're coming in with like a checklist, right? Of like, okay, how's the preacher? It, He's not, he's not wearing a tie, right? Like there's these, there's these things that we got inside of us trying to make sense of them. And is this the church for me? And then we all bring these expectations to every church, to every relationship. And every time an expectation is not met, then we have to make a decision. Every relationship has unmet expectations. Disappointment is what that's called. And this is where sacrifice becomes so important because sacrifice is us giving up the right to demand our way. We're giving up maybe the, the thing that we thought was the way we wanted stuff to go. Yeah, somebody just whispered marriage to their husband. I heard there that. It is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was not subtle at all. But you know, this is, this is totally a marriage sermon, isn't it? I love that. I love, this is real life. Welcome to real life. We try to avoid elbowing each other as much as possible around here, but uh, I get it. I get it. This is, this is really the essence of relationship. Marriage relationship, church relationship is, is willing to sacrifice desires when expectations go unmet that we do what Paul says. We be completely humble and gentle because they will go unmet. And we have a willingness to, to assume the best of each other and not uh, fill that disappointment with a bunch of suspicion and how could you and I knew you were gonna disappoint me. Every other person has disappointed me, right? But to fill it with a sense of trust and believing the best about each other, you know? They didn't mean to. I don't think he understood what he said. I, I, whatever, that you and I would just be willing to fight within our own hearts for unity. Yeah, man, absolutely. And I love the language of fighting within this context with unity because when we look at this, Richie's just talking about unity as a fight within our own hearts, but also unity is a fight to reconcile differences. This is actually a fight that we're, we're fighting and you can look in Colossians 3, it says, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. I read this passage and it's kind of hard to read it sometimes because there was a, a Saturday morning where I did the exact opposite of all of those things that I just read. Uh, I woke up one morning and my wife is in the room and she's gonna be upset that I'm telling the story, but it's okay. Um, not true, you not asked true. I asked her, we're okay. good, okay. it's okay, we're good. <laughs> No, but I woke up one morning and she wasn't in bed. So I, I got out of bed just to go look for her. And she was making breakfast for, for her and I that morning, which is amazing. How many of you guys are married in this room real quick? I love to interact with all you guys. So how many of you are the husband in the relationship here? 
All right, here we go. You guys will totally understand where I'm going with this. Uh, so I walk out to the kitchen, and she's making pancakes and bacon. That and good. it was amazing. <laughs> as she was flipping the pancakes, though, I noticed that they were getting a little darker and darker as she flipped them. So I was initially like, man, the, the heat's a little too hot. So I, before even saying hello, good morning, I love you, and whatever, I just walked over to the stove. Like, actually, I did it, not asking her to. I did this. And I turned the heat down, which if you're a husband in the room, you know, do not mess with them when they're cooking you food. So (laughs) first mistake. And then she goes and says, why do you got to come in here and ruin things? That's what I would have said. I'm like, I know. Back off. (laughs) Back off, bro. Uh, Yeah. And I look at her and immediately before even thinking, I'm just like, well, why do you have to suck at cooking? Yeah, all of you know. I will say this right we'll, now. We'll be starting marriage counseling right after Yeah, this. exactly. <laughs> this is probably my last time preaching, guys. So, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> so I go, and I look at her, and I'm like, why do you have to always suck at cooking? And immediately I was like, mm, gosh, that was so dumb. But it didn't stop there. I got so mad at the situation that I got my pre-workout all ready to go and I just went to the gym. I left. Didn't even say anything else to her. Went to the gym and was gone for an hour and a half. Left her there. Exactly. <laughs> left her there by herself with her own thoughts, my, me with my own thoughts as well at the gym. And as I was there at the gym, I was really wrestling with like how to fix this. Just talking to God, I was like, man, I am an idiot. I messed up. What do I do to fix this? And so after I was done at the gym, I, I grabbed her her favorite coffee from one of her coffee stands. And I probably should have got two. Probably should have got two. Yeah. Uh, and I get to the apartment and I walk in and she's not in the kitchen. Breakfast has already been put away. She wasn't in the living room. She wasn't in the bathroom. And I walk into our bedroom and she's curled up in a ball, just crying. And that sent my heart immediately into my stomach. I had to learn how to actually go to her in this moment and apologize and and reconcile the differences that we had that morning. I go to her and I sit on the side of the bed and I'm like, babe, I'm an idiot. What do I gotta do next time? And we were able to, to have a conversation about me needing to learn how to listen well and read the room. I'm not good at that. Not good at that. Still not good at that. So all you guys who've been married for a while, if you figured it out, let me know. But also, she had a part in that as well, and she recognized that too, and she apologized for her side of it, for for freaking out right away too. Which leads me to kind of all of this conversation here is in order to actually reconcile differences to be able to create this unity, you have to own your part. You have to recognize that you have a part to play in this fight, that it's not just one-sided, but that there's actually two parts to play in this conversation. I had to own my part going to my wife and saying, hey, I'm sorry, and she owned her part by doing the same thing. And what I love about owning your part is you're taking responsibility for something. And I feel like as Jesus' church, we need to be taking responsibility for a lot. Which leads me kind of to the next thing, which is to forgive when you've been hurt. This is where I love my wife. She forgave me 
immediately right there. She showed me so much grace and empathy and compassion. Everything that Colossians says to do, she did it. And I didn't deserve that. And I just wanna say too, forgiveness doesn't look like actually going back to the way things were. Forgiveness looks like moving forward, getting better. When you're done forgiving somebody, what you should do in this conversation is you should actually be linking arms together, standing stronger than you were before you even got into that conversation. Forgiveness does not mean that you're taking everything back to the way it was because if that was true with me and her, we were, just, we were in the middle of a fight. We would have just gone right back to that. But instead, she decided to forgive me which allowed us to actually move forward that day and have a much better day than it started out like. You've gotta own your part. You've gotta forgive when you've been hurt. You gotta not bail when things don't go your way. We all know that kid that took his ball and went home after losing the game when we were younger. That kid was the worst. Don't be that kid. (laughs) Don't be that kid. Don't be like me and just leave and go off for an hour and a half to leave my wife sitting there with her own thoughts, wondering if there's even love that I have to give her in that moment. Don't bail when things don't go your way. Stick through it and fight through it because I believe in order to actually create this unity that we're talking about here, we have to stick with it and stand and fight. We gotta learn how to take off our old clothes of insensitivity, anger and pride and frustration and actually put on the new clothes of compassion and kindness, gentleness and patience. When we take off those old clothes, what we're, what we're saying is like, that's the world way of life and I don't wanna be like that. When we put on these new clothes that we see in Colossians of, of gentleness and kindness and, and patience, this is God's kingdom mindset. This is the mindset that we need to have going into all of our conversations because if we came into these conversations always all hot-headed, no one's gonna be or wanna be around you. And if we're trying to raise this next generation up to be passionate about Jesus, they need us to lead the way in unity. They need us to be able to look at and say, man, I wanna be like that person one day because they are so on fire for Jesus, nothing is getting in their way. This is the kind of church that I believe Jesus is calling us to be. A church that's passionate for the next generation being raised up. A church that sees potential in the next generation and is passionate about growing them and helping them thrive within our own church here in Spokane. We have this mission to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. So I think it's time to get up and actually fight for that. Because the next generation is here and they are right now. Generation Alive is in an organization that I went to a meeting with them. And there's this one student that was asked a question by this man and he asked her, hey, we have not done a really good job as adults of, of helping you guys understand how to live life. What do we gotta do in order to fix that? And this seventh grade girl, she looked at him and then looked at all of her friends around the table. There's about 30 of them and all, 29 of them nodded at her. They were like, yeah, say it. And she says, honestly, man, we just want people to invest in us, to trust us, to believe in us, and to have a relationship with us. And if you ask any of the kids in our youth ministry that are here right now, that is exactly what they want to. 
adults and leaders in their life, helping them grow to become who God wants them to be. This is a passion, not only for me, but a passion that I believe every single one of you can have. And it starts right here with being a unified church. Aren't you so proud of this guy? I love, I love seeing him preach up here. Love seeing him preach up here. Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together, live together in unity. At the end of that passage, the psalmist says, that is where the Lord bestows or commands his blessing. Think of that. The people who are unified is where God says, I'm gonna bless those people. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fill those rooms. I'm gonna change those lives. I'm gonna heal those marriages. I'm gonna work powerfully in those people's midst. The people that can get unified and make a decision to say, you know what? My preferences aren't that big of a deal. God, how are you gonna align us and bring us around a common mission with a common purpose and a passion inside of us to see this city and this world change? God, whatever I gotta give up, however, God, I need to sacrifice. God, I'm in. I, I want to be a part of that. The next generation is looking at us, wondering, is there a people that really are more passionate about Jesus and his church than they are about the places they've been and the preferences they've had? Are, are they willing to forgive? Are they willing to overlook offenses? Are they willing to, to, to be someone that's going to bear with one another and not just bail when things... I mean, generation all they've seen is divorce and brokenness and hatred and all this division in our world and in our country and they need to see a picture of what Jesus people are really like and that's not going to come just because real life does the perfect thing it's going to become become because each of us make a decision to fight for unity and in our own hearts and in this church that we are going to fight for the next generation to become who God made them to be and tell a better story than the story the world is telling right now. To live a picture of what it means to be Jesus' church. And that is the call. That is the invitation for every single one of us today is to take responsibility for the unity of Jesus' church. So you know what? I may just be brand new here. I may just be getting started in a relationship with Jesus, but I'm in. I want to I wanna know what my part is and how I can best be unified on this mission with you. Some of you have been here for a long time and you've kind of allowed your heart to be disconnected a little bit and you've maybe sat passively watching the mission happen and God is saying, no, I need you to fight for this. I need you to fight for unity, fight for the next generation. Some of us today, you're hearing about Jesus maybe for the first time, that he loves you, that he's died for you, that he paid the penalty for your sins. Your sins separate you from God. Every single one of us are sinful. But God in his love sent his son to die in our place. Really what it takes is a heart that recognizes I'm sinful. I need a savior. Jesus, be my savior. And that hope, that life, that comes in our recognition of our sinfulness and our repentance and turning to Jesus. My hope is that every one of us in this room today would make that decision if you haven't already and that you would be baptized. That's the first step of recognizing I need a Savior. My prayer is that every one of us would have the courage to take the step that God is calling us to take today. Would you stand your feet with us today? I want to pray together. In fact, some of you got some young people nearby you. I want you to maybe just grab their hand or put your hand on their shoulder. Don't be creepy or weird about it. Just 
pray over these, these young people. God, you see your church standing here today with a passion, a passion for unity, a passion for your church, a passion for the next generation, God. And I pray that our hearts would just be soft and receptive and willing, God, to obey whatever you're saying today. God, we just collectively say, yes, Lord, we, we want to be your church. We want to be unified. Make us one as you and the Father are one, God. And as these young people stand here with us in our midst today, God, we say that these young ones are yours, God. You've called them by name. You've anointed them for your purpose and your glory, God, and your kingdom to expand through each of them, God. You have ministry ahead of them. You have workplaces, God, that you have ordained for them to be in. You have schools and places of transformation, God, that you are calling these young people to, God. And we just send them in the name of Jesus today. We commission them, God, into every place that they will set foot, God, over the next several months and years, God, that these young people would be the future of your church transforming this broken world, that they would be collectively the light in the darkness, God, that they would be the ones that rise up and take responsibility for the good news of the kingdom of God moving forward, God. Whatever hindrances or pains that have held them back, God, we just pray freedom in the name of Jesus. We pray that you would break down any strongholds in their hearts and their minds, God, and that you would give them courage, God. We come against fear in the name of Jesus, and we ask, God, that you would raise them up with the courage, mighty men and women of God, God, that you are raising up for your glory and your purposes, God. We thank you for them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can we celebrate together today, real life? Team's going to lead us in a moment of worship together, and I just encourage you as we sing, sing wholeheartedly. This is a time to be unified together as we sing these words out. If you need to be baptized, head to the back. Our team will meet you back there right now. Love to pray with you. We've got everything you need to take that step today. Let's worship and let's respond.